Man, you talk about a miracle. I think two years ago, I couldn't get 100 wild horses to drag Jerry on this stage. So... Praise God. Hey, guys, uh, I have something that, that I'd really like to share with you that's super important this morning. Um, our, I would call them our founding pastors here at Watford City Assembly of God. Bill and Loretta Bush are going through a season um, that, that they need our prayers. Right now, Loretta has, uh, has been diagnosed with uh, stage 4 cancer, and uh, the doctors say it's very rapid, and she is hospitalized right now. And uh, Bill is also having some physical difficulties as well. And they're, they're older people. Um, but we just need God to surround them in this moment. Uh, they poured out their life for 11 years here at Watford City Assembly of God, planting. And much of the reason why we're harvesting today is because of the great planting that they did and walking the church through very many difficult times and continuing on. Would you join me this morning as we pray for Bill and Loretta today? Heavenly Father, though we're miles apart from them in this moment, God, we as a congregation thank you for the investment of their lives in our church. And today we ask, God, that you would surround them with your presence, that, God, that they would know how near and dear and close they are, not just to our heart, but to yours. That, God, they would sense your peace and your comfort and your love. That you would surround them, Lord, with the presence of the Holy Spirit that they would know that people are praying for them, that people are standing with them, and that, God, you will never leave them or forsake them, that you are right with them and that you are close. God, I pray for Loretta in this moment, Lord, that, God, you would surround her, Lord Jesus, with strength and power, Lord, that, God, you would, you would strengthen her and encourage her in this moment, that the peace that passes all understanding would guard their hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for praying with us this morning for that. Today we're going to be continuing our series of two Sundays, Hope's Two Daughters. And uh, last week we talked about anger. And uh, some of the context that we talk about with anger this morning, you're going to have to listen last week if you don't really understand uh, what I'm talking about because I'm going to actually encourage anger, which is uh, really odd. But if you, if you missed last week, it's on, uh, on the website, uh, WaffordCityAG.com, and so you can catch up to speed on that. But we believe that God created humans with an odd emotion that all of us experience. It's called anger. We know that anger um, was not sin because Jesus at different times, and we talked about this last week, where he experienced anger. But we came to the conclusion last week that the fire of our anger that burns deep inside of our heart was designed to be harnessed for restoration rather than destruction, that it was actually created that anger should be used to help others rather than to hurt them. But anger was only one of hope's beautiful daughters. This was our quote from last week. St. Augustine said this, He said, hope has two beautiful daughters. Their names are anger and courage. Anger at the way things are and courage to see that they do not remain the way that they are. You know, I'm really good with this quote. I'm really good at the anger part. I think I got that down. I mean, it's really easy to to see uh, things happening in our world that we just get fired up about and we say that shouldn't be the way that it should be. And it's really easy to get that part of the equation, the anger part. The courage part, that's a different story. 
It seems like many times, in order to be really obedient to God, it takes great acts of courage. Bill Hybels once said, anytime God births an incredible vision in your heart, it is guaranteed to put your courage to the test. How about you? Has God ever tested your courage? Has God ever asked you to, maybe like last week, stretch out your hand? Has God ever asked you to speak when you really want to stay quiet? Has God ever motioned to you from the the stability of the boat to come out to him on the water? And you were like, oh, I hope he's pointing at a different person. There are many times in our life that we as Christians would rather be comfortable than obedient. But last week we talked about if we can allow our anger to fuel us inside, to not allow the world to stay the same, that we would be empowered with a, with a passion to not just look at things and go, oh, that frustrates me, but actually we would take action. Maybe the reason the world around us is hopeless is because we have not fueled that anger and that courage. Hopelessness reigns because good people do nothing. Maybe hopelessness in our community reigns because good people don't take the courage to act. This morning we're going to be looking at times when God calls us out of normal Christianity to accomplish amazing things and how we must be willing to embrace the courage on a daily basis so that God can work through us. Many of the times we don't realize that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as well as the first third of the book of Acts, was actually focused completely on the Jewish people. Sometimes we forget that. In fact, 95% of Jesus' ministry and all the ministry that was done up to that point in the book of Acts as well was towards the Jewish nationality. But in Acts chapter 10, there was a game-changer moment. In Acts chapter 10, there was something that happened that changed everything. In fact, in Acts chapter 10, the gospel exploded. But even in this massive revival within the church, there were people who were opposed to what God was doing. And it took great courage of one man. Actually, he's the guy that gets most of the heat in the New Testament. His name's Peter. Messed up a lot. But God used one man for this game-changer moment, for the church to press into all of the nationalities across the entire world. And the courage of one man is the reason why all of us sit in this room today. Peter. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 10, because I want us to look at this courageous moment together. In Acts chapter 10, starting at verse 9, We're going to look at a, quite a big portion this morning, so hold on to your hats. We're going to run fast through God's word here today. In Acts chapter 10, starting at verse 9, it says this. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up to the flat roof to pray. It was about noon. He was hungry, but while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. 
So Peter here is up on the rooftop, and this is something that he commonly did. He was praying, and he has an empower, a powerful moment with God. And he sees a vision, and God begins to speak to him. Let's continue in verse 11. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals and reptiles and birds. And then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. In the vision, God lowers down this sheet of all of these different animals, and as he lowers all of these animals, uh, we saw that there were unclean animals within the sheet here. Now, the laws of the Jewish people didn't allow for them to eat certain animals. In Leviticus chapter 11, it says that they could eat an animal that had a split hoof and chewed its cud, so that meant that they could eat a cow, but they could not eat a camel or could not eat a pig. They also went on... Or it also went on to explain that uh, in Leviticus chapter 11 that they could eat fish from out of the sea as long as the fish had fin or scales so they could like eat a walleye but they couldn't eat an octopus or a, a lobster or something like that. So God drops down this sheet of all of these animals and Peter wouldn't touch them. He wouldn't eat them even when God told him to. He even tells God no. Just to give you a heads up right now, if God tells you to do something, no is probably not the best answer, okay? Just, just if you want to take one takeaway this morning, that would be a good one. He says no. But why did Peter say no? What caused him to say no in this moment? He, it's because Peter said, I have never eaten anything like that before. I have followed the religious rules up to this point, God. Why would we go anywhere else now? But then God says, don't call something unclean that God has made clean. Let's read on verses 16 through 18. The vision, this vision of it dropping down, and it says that it was repeated three times that God told him to eat, and the, sea, and the sheet suddenly pulled up to heaven. Verse 17, it says, Peter was perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house standing outside the gate. They asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Now, Peter, at the close of the vision here, doesn't really understand what's going on. And then he's perplexed, the Bible says. But God doesn't give him time to try and figure it out. The Gentiles end up on his doorstep right at that moment looking for him. And now Peter was a devout Jew. If Peter had never even eaten anything that was unclean, he probably didn't make it a habit of spending time with Gentiles. That wasn't something he was going to do. I mean, Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners and drunken prostitutes, but guess what? They were Jewish. They were Jewish prostitutes and Jewish sinners and Jewish drunkards. So that was okay, sort of. But to Peter, this was a big deal. Jews considered Gentiles unfit to talk to, especially to eat with. Because in that culture, if you ate with someone, it was a sign of acceptance of who they were. 
The reason why the Good Samaritan was such a powerful uh, parable that Jesus told was the fact that the Samaritan, the one who helped, was actually half Jewish. That was unheard of. Half Jewish? And now the Gentiles are at his doorstep. But before Peter could really wrap his mind around this, the Gentiles are knocking at his front door. Ding dong, comes down the steps from off the top of the roof. These people look different. They smell different. They were hated by the Jews. And they're at Peter's doorstep. Verse 19. It says, meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, I have sent them. Peter still hasn't seen the Gentiles sitting at his door, but the Holy Spirit speaks to him and tells him. Peter, still wondering what the vision was about, the three men are here looking for him. He goes with them without hesitation. I sent them here, God said, don't worry. I'm sure Peter was thankful that God told him that because maybe this was a trap. Maybe these people were trying to kill him. We don't know. But in verse 21, it says, So Peter went down the steps, or Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? They said, We were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by all of the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that we can hear your message. So Peter did something absolutely ridiculous. It doesn't say that in your Bible. I stopped there, just so you know. So, so Peter, and then I added, but it says this, he did this ridiculous thing. He invited the men to stay the night. That was, that was unheard of in this culture. He invited these men to stay the night. And the next day, the Bible says, he went with them and accompanied them with some of the brothers to Joppa. So these guys are explaining, and I believe that Peter begins, to, the vision begins to unravel in his mind. The timing is too perfect, so he does something that was unheard of. He invites them into his house. He treats them like guests. This was a huge step. Then he goes with them in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Verse 24 through 29. Then they arrived at Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them. And had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, Stand up, I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. Peter told them, You know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile's home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean, so I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. So tell me why you sent for me. So Peter walks into the room. The first chance that he gets the microphone, which they didn't have back then, the first chance that he stands up in front of everyone, he tells them, listen, you got to understand, he shoots straight. This is a big deal. You guys all know in this room that it is against my religion to come into this home to associate with people like you. This is bad for my reputation, so let's not let it out, okay? 
But he says this, God has shown me something that there shouldn't be a distinction between Jews and Gentiles. It takes great courage to be obedient to God. Especially when it challenges our customs, our religious backgrounds. Sometimes God challenges our personal prejudices and even the mindsets that we have created over many years. I'm not sure if we can fully understand the severity of Peter walking into Cornelius' house that day and how vastly powerful of a moment this was. So from there, Cornelius explains to Peter. He says, hey, I saw a vision. An angel came to me. He told me, go get Peter. Peter will come. He'll share a message with you. Peter, so what does Peter do? Peter here, and I'm skipping a bunch of verses here to kind of paraphrase. Peter, at this point, he, he explains the gospel to them. He says, Jesus Christ came, he died, he rose again, and then he told us to preach to everyone who would believe in him, and if they believed in him, then their sins would be forgiven through the name of Jesus Christ. Then something powerful happened right there in the room. As the Gentiles were hearing, in their heart they were accepting the message of Jesus Christ, and in that moment, instantaneously, they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues. Up to this point, the only tongue-talking Pentecostals were Jewish, okay? But all of a sudden, it just burst out of them. The Holy Spirit came on them. So God was obviously accepting these people in that moment. And so Peter says, well, anyone want to get baptized to, to publicly declare your faith in Jesus Christ? And they had a big baptismal service, and all of these people were baptized. So this is a game-changer At this point, the world is up for grabs. At this point, all of the horses were in the gate, waiting, launching, and they opened. In this moment, when these people were filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized and set on fire, giving their life to Jesus Christ and surrendering their lives as Gentiles, at that moment, the world changed. It opened the door for you and I to experience and accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That was a game changer moment. So worldwide revival starts then. But there was one minor problem. Word got back to the church where Peter was and didn't go so well. The church... Can you imagine that? Wouldn't they be supportive? I mean, their membership roles just open wide open. They're ready to go. I mean, way more offerings, all that kind of stuff, whatever. This is great. This is, this is good business for the church. Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, it says this. Soon the news reached the apostles and the other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles and you even ate with them. Isn't it interesting that as young as the church was right here, 10 years old probably, maybe younger, they had already gotten trapped in a religious mindset. But it takes great amounts of courage for Peter to confront his own 
personal feelings about the Gentiles, to share with them, to eat with them, and then ultimately defend them to the Christians that wanted to oppose them. Hope has two beautiful daughters. Their names are Anger and Courage. Anger at the way things are, and courage to see that they do not remain the way that they are. At this time in our message, usually we take, after we've looked at God's word, we say, well, how does God's word apply to us today as we sit in this room? How can we take the application of what we just read and and begin to apply it to our own personal lives? Guys, I believe that it applies quite well to each of us. You see, if we are going to ensure that this community is impacted with the hope of Jesus Christ, then we are going to have to muster every ounce of courage in order to take action. Courage to see that things do not remain the same. But guys, as individuals and as a body, I believe that God is calling us to anger and to courage, that we would not be complacent or comfortable, but we would be willing to step out of what we would consider the normal way or the normal process in order to effectively reach people with the message of hope of Jesus Christ. I believe that there are two main areas that God is calling us to courage today, and these are them. God is calling us to individual courage. That means you can't look at the person next to you or the person sitting to your right or to your left. It means that God is calling every individual in this room to courage. And then I believe that God is calling us as a body as a unified group of people here within the four walls of this building right now, that God is calling us to courage as as a team, as a group, as a church, as a body. So let's look at these individually. God is calling us to courage as individuals. How do we do that? When Peter saw the vision of the sheet, he didn't really understand. But right then, the Holy Spirit said something. He prayed and he said, God, I don't understand this vision. I don't know what you're talking about. And the Holy Spirit said, go with the men who are at the door. And he went. And everything was different after that. See, guys, at Watford City Assembly of God, we have three core values. Number one is this. We believe uh, we will unashamedly reach young families with all of our heart because we believe that success without a successor is failure as a church. Number two, we will reach people who are far from God. Not that we're, we're happy if you've transferred in as a Christian, that's wonderful, but you are not our mission. But you can help us with our mission. Our mission is to reach people who are far from God, and we'd love all the help that we possibly can get. In fact, we believe that God has positioned people here right now to affect the world. We want to reach people far from God. And the third one is an interesting one. It's we want, our, it's our heart's desire that, and I want to read it because I want to get it exactly right. We want our people to be able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God as well as through inner promptings of the heart. That's our third core value at the church here. You see, guys, the last core value is about hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit and how vital it is for us as believers to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit on a continual basis, to obeying the voice of the Holy Spirit. You see, obeying the voice of the Holy Spirit is where the courage part comes in. It takes courage to obey God. 
It takes courage to obey the voice of the Holy Spirit. It takes courage to speak to someone because God has spoken to you. It takes courage to help someone that God has impressed upon your heart. Peter had to have the courage because God had asked him to do something controversial, to do something unaccepted, and even to look upon others who, that, that other people looked upon differently. What if God was asking you to do the same in this moment right now? Let's get super real for a minute. What if God asked you to reach out to someone that you didn't like, that normally you would never associate with that person on a regular day-to-day basis? What if God asked you? What if God asked you to call or reach out to someone who was hard to love? What if your Christian friends came to you and said, I'm not sure if you should be hanging around with that person? What if that person would ruin your reputation? That's what happened to Peter here, right? I mean, guys, listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, I believe that God is calling each of us as individuals to watch what God is doing around us and to join him, to be proactive, to step out. You see, guys, the most powerful tool that we have as a body is not our Sunday morning service. It's not our children's ministry. It's not our spectrum of of midweek services and, and midweek ministries. In fact, our greatest resource or our greatest tool is not even found within this building. The most powerful tool that we have is the individual obedience to the Holy Spirit of every single believer outside the walls of this church. That is our greatest, most powerful tool to see change in our community. To hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and to have the courage to obey. As individuals, we must have the courage to obey. As individuals, we must have the courage to be uncomfortable Peter said, you know, I'm not supposed to be here or even associate with you. God took Peter out of his comfort zone. A lot of times I don't think we're willing to go out of our comfort zone. In fact, we pray often that God wouldn't take us out of our comfort zone. So I'm going to say right now that don't be surprised if the ne- in the next seven days God wants to challenge your courage and take you out of your comfort zone as individuals, not the person next to you, not the one on the left or on the right. I'm talking about you. Yeah, you. That God would want to take you out of your comfort zone. He might ask you to do something completely out of your character. He might ask you at the gas station to go and talk to someone. He might ask you as you're walking down the hallway of the hospital to visit a friend that someone is in the waiting room and they begin to cry and the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and says, go pray for that person. God might ask you to have a really hard conversation with someone. But listening many times, people think that courage is the absence of fear. But it's not. See, courage is being afraid, but still doing what you're supposed to do. As individuals, we must have the courage to obey. We must have the courage to be uncomfortable. As individuals, we must have the courage to stand firm against opposition. Listen, guys, we are in an army. The enemy of our souls is shooting at us every day. The devil, he wants nothing more than to cripple you, to make you ineffective, to deceive you, to cause you to be offended. But we must realize that 
when we run into those type of situations where we could be offended, where we could be hurt, where we could uh, just shell up and, and, and become calloused, I want you to understand that it's not the person that said the words. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Listen, we're not fighting people. We're fighting the enemy. And we talked about that last week. And how important that is. When God calls us out to speak, it's going to take great courage to fight. There are battles that go on in our minds every single day that we have to fight. Peter came back to the Christians, was all excited. The gates had opened. We're ready to run. We're ready to go, guys. Look at this. And they criticized him. They accused him of being unspiritual. He said, you even ate with them, man. Do you realize that at times, this is really, really edgy, but there are times when Christians can actually be the voice of the enemy. And we have to realize that we are fighting a battle and that we need not that we're fighting against that other person, but the enemy can use or filter that other person so that he says things. Think about the church at that moment. What, is the, what, what do you want to do if you are the enemy, if you're the devil at that moment in Acts chapter 10, and the world is about ready to break forth in a huge and massive revival, that the Gentiles, they are opening the gates. At that moment, what do you want to do? You want to crush Peter in that moment and stop it right there. And who did he use? The church. Isn't that, I know that's hard to get our mind around, but we have to understand that the enemy wants to do anything to cause division or dissension in in our hearts. And listen, guys, as individuals, we have to continue to have the courage to obey, the continue to have the courage to be uncomfortable, the continual courage to stand firm. So as individuals, we need to do this. The same three things we need to do as a corporate body, as a a church, and I'm just about done, three more things here. As a church, it takes courage as a body, all of us together unified, courage to be obedient to God. And I believe that we have done this as as a group, that we've really tried hard to be obedient to God. He's lead us to climb some pretty steep mountains, overcome some great challenges, And we've gone where other churches maybe are unwilling to go. But we need new courage starting today as a church, as a body of believers. We need new courage for what God has called us to next. As a church body, we need the courage to obey God when he asks us to do difficult things. Because fear doesn't just paralyze individuals. Fear actually can paralyze churches that they would be afraid to do anything that would get out of the normal circle of church. Guys, pray for us as leadership. Pray for myself. Pray for the board. Pray for our staff. That God would give us courage. That we would be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and know the direction and the choices to make. That we would have courage to be obedient because it takes courage as a church to be obedient to God. It takes courage as a church to step out of our comfort zone. I've been a Christian all my life. It's really easy for me to go through the motions. 
to say the right words, to say all the Christian cliches. But what if God asked us as a church to do something that was radically different? What if what if we didn't sing the songs that you liked anymore? Or we didn't do communion enough? Or church was continually changing when we wanted it to stay that way? It takes courage to step out of our comfort zone as a church. A couple weeks ago, I brought up an eight track, and I showed it to everybody. And for a long time, churches have been stuck in the mode where they just, they just want to make a better 8-track. They just keep making a better 8-track and a better 8-track and a better 8-track. Listen, the world ain't listening to 8-tracks anymore, guys. If you think that you're going to do something within the four walls of your building here that's going to attract a pile of people and they're all going to come running and they're going to come to know Jesus, listen, they're not listening to 8-tracks You see, guys, we can't get so caught up in the way that we do church that we end up forgetting the why we do church. You see, the why we do church is because Jesus Christ transforms people's lives. And the message on the 8-track is still the same message. We just need a different method in order for people to hear it. No one has 8-tracks in their vehicle anymore. So we might need a cassette tape or a CD player or an MP3 player or, a, or stream things over the internet. I hope you guys are understanding my analogy and what I'm talking about, that it's not the physical way that we do church. It's the why we do church. And frankly, at this establishment here, we don't go to church. We are the church. And there's a huge difference. So guys, Christians, we're really good at complaining about where our culture is going, but we must resolve not just to complain, but to actually do something different to reach people for Jesus Christ. The reason why we do things so differently at WCAG a lot of times is we're just trying to be led and obedient to the Holy Spirit. And that takes us out of our comfort zone sometimes. It'd be really easy for me as a pastor to stand up here and go through all of my Christian cliches and all the things that I've learned ever since I was two weeks old in the front pew of a Pentecostal church, and we can just go through the motions, guys. And guess what? Our region and everyone around us would go to hell. But instead, we say, you know what? We're going to be invested in other people's lives. We're going to go out from this place. And it takes courage to step out of our comfort zone. Lastly, guys, it takes courage to stand against opposition. This is going to come to a shock to many people in this room. But today, the greatest opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ in our region right now is not found out there. It's found in here. I know that that seems hard for me to say that. But the reality of it is, guys, is that for a long time, churches have just been keeping it to themselves. And every once in a while, someone will just wander in, 
Praise God, that's great. But the reality of the matter is the reason why the world out there doesn't know Jesus is because the people in here, myself included, are simply keeping it to ourselves. And see, guys, Peter experienced opposition. Peter experienced that the Gentiles were wanting the gospel, but do you know who didn't want the Gentiles? The church. See, religion many times stands in the way and it challenges our obedience to God simply because we have never done it that way before. Guys, God is calling us to have the courage to press forward into uncharted waters as a church, to embrace uncomfortability, to radically follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, to experiment in different ways to reach more people. Could it be that the greatest hindrance to the church advancing is not the devil, but it is rather ourselves? Simply our unwillingness to have the courage to stand against our own fears. You see, guys, maybe the difference between courage and fear is simply 10 seconds of deciding whether we will be obedient to the Holy Spirit or not. Maybe the difference between courage and fear is simply 10 seconds of embracing our anger and uncomfortability and saying, this is probably just where I'm going to live the rest of my life. Maybe the difference between courage and fear is the 10 seconds of wanting to please God rather than pleasing others. Maybe the difference between courage and fear is simply 10 seconds of reckless abandonment to self and to Jesus Christ. Remember, anytime God births an incredible vision in your heart, it is guaranteed to put your courage to the test. Be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God is with you. Hope has two beautiful daughters. Their names are anger and courage. Anger at the way things are, and courage to see that they do not remain the way they are. So we're going to close our service differently as usual. This is what I want us to do. I don't want to belabor this a long time. Right now, if you sense, and you will know exactly what I'm talking about when I say this. You don't have to muster it up inside your heart or anything like that. Right now, if in your life and in your heart, individually, every person, separately at this moment, if you could measure the amount of courage that you have versus the amount of fear that you have in your life, and we were to put it on a scale, which would win in your life? Which do you have more of? Are you suffering and being led by fear? Or has God bolstered your courage in some way? If we are going to be effective, if people are, who lives are going to be touched and changed for eternity in this community and in this region, your courage will have to outweigh your fear. So this is what I want us to do. If you would be open and you would take 10 seconds of absolute courage 
If you're in this room and you say, Pastor Sheldon, my fear outweighs my courage on a continual basis, and I don't want that to, I, I want that to change. I don't want to stay the same today. We're going to pray for everyone in this room, just right where you're standing. So on the count of three, I'm going to have everyone whose fear is outweighing their courage, I want you to stand up. Ready? One, two, three. Stand up. It's not going to be everyone, okay? It's not going to be everyone. But your fear is outweighing your courage. Okay, a lot of people. A lot of people. All right, so we're going to make a mess of it as usual. I need... I need everybody in the room, everybody that's standing right now, everybody look around. I need all the people that are sitting down, and even if you're here the first time, I apologize in advance. I'll, I'll meet you at, at lunch, and you can chew me out. I'll take you out to lunch, okay, if it's your first Sunday. I want, I want you to go around, and I want you to put a, your hand on the shoulder of every person that's standing. Can we just spread out real quick as a church? And I just want to close in prayer like this. So... You're going to have to split up. You may even have to put your hand on two people's shoulders, okay? So, all right, big mixer. One, two, three. We're all uncomfortable. Let's move. Very good. If you're standing beside someone who is standing with you, why don't you take their hand? If you don't have someone putting your hand on their shoulder right now, Thank you, Lord. God, as a church today, Lord Jesus, God, it is our desire to act as men and women of God that would have the courage to be obedient to your Holy Spirit. And from this point forward, God, we're asking that you would begin to remove our fear. In fact, we come against the fear in the powerful name of Jesus Christ right now. And we ask God in your name, that God, you would come and you would begin to fill our hearts with courage, that we would be courageous, Lord Jesus, that we would stand for truth and righteousness. God, you would burn the passion and fire deep inside of our hearts, that God, it would overwhelm all of the fear that tries to trap inside of us. God, that we come against that fear in the powerful name of Jesus, that God, you would move in a powerful way because you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. So in this moment, God, we hand over our fear to you, God, that it would no longer cripple us, that it would no longer uh, paralyze us, God, but we would be men and women of God that would act with courage despite the fear, that the courage would overwhelm, would override, would lift up above, and in this moment, God, that you would set people free in this room from the fear of what other people think, the fear of the reactions of what other people will say, and that fear would be gone in the powerful name of Jesus and we would speak life and liberty and courage and, and blessing upon each life, that God would grant you the foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do the things that others claim cannot be done. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Praise God. So guys, we go from here. In everything that you say and do, you represent Jesus Christ first, that you would shine the light and love of Jesus Christ with every action and every word. Go with God. Lord bless you.